uh, preparing the sermons. So, uh, Nehemiah chapter 6. And I want to talk about something that some of us have no problem saying, but some of us have a struggle saying the word no. Okay? No. Right? Say that with me. No. Okay, say it like you mean it now. Some of you still can't do it. You, some of you just you cannot handle saying no. And so, we've, we've been talking about... Um, this whole series, uh, getting control of your life by stop making excuses, stop blaming everybody. And so I want to talk about here in Nehemiah chapter 6 just for a moment. And then we're going to go in, into some things. And uh, uh, it's, it's going to be a powerful message. Chapter 6 of Nehemiah. Let me just give you what's happening. Nehemiah is coming back into uh, Israel. The, remember the children of Israel have been captive now for almost 70 years. They were taken from Israel, or what we call modern day Israel, taken captive into what's uh, modern-day Iraq near Babylon. Okay, so there for 70 years. They don't have a temple anymore. They don't worship. Ezra begins to go back, and he begins to rebuild the temple. Ezra went and rebuilt the temple. Then some years later, Nehemiah goes back as God moves on his heart to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The walls of Jerusalem were torn down. Most There are some parts that are still up. So God puts in the heart of Nehemiah to go rebuild the walls, and, they begin, and God begins to move some of the children of Israel back into Israel from captivity. So Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall. And as you know, if any time you're doing something great or good, someone's going to oppose you. Is that right? Okay, so Nehemiah begins to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The temple is rebuilt. The walls of Jerusalem, are, some of them are knocked down halfway. Some are completely down. There are still parts of the wall that are fully up. So Nehemiah gets a group of people, a, a, a group of uh, people from Jerusalem and, and from uh, in, in captivity. They begin to rebuild. And so we pick it up, Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Nehemiah 6, 1-9 says, When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. Listen to this. I am carrying, out, carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to, to you? Listen to this. Four times they sent me the same message. Each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent, this, uh, sent me the, his aid to me with the same message and, and his, handwritten, his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written. It is reported among the nations and Geshem says it is true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt and therefore you are bu- building the wall Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So, so come, let us confer together. Verse 8, I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you said is happening. I love how he says this. And, and are just making this up out of your head. Verse 9, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Let's pray. Father, today in the name of Jesus, would you open our minds and our thoughts to the Word of God, to this message, to the message you have for us. Help us to grow. And when you give us a great call or a great purpose or a dream or whatever it is that you call us to do, let us stay focused on that dream. Let us stay focused on that project. Let us stay focused on that purpose or that vision. And let us not be distracted. And in that, Lord, comes sometimes we have to say no to some things so we can do the greater things of God. We, we ask Spirit to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Okay, so here it is, Nehemiah, is, is the wall is up, they haven't set the gates yet. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem say, hey, why don't you come and meet with us? And the whole purpose was to get them to stop, okay? And they send the message, they threaten them, and so, so uh, Nehemiah says, no, I can't come down, I'm doing a great work, I don't want to stop, I want to do what God is, wants me to do. So the answer there is what? No. Okay, say with me. No. So today's message is you can learn to say no. Okay, so the first thing, write this down, is your God-given dream. God has given you a dream or dreams or visions or purpose in life. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Then Psalm 139, check this out. Not only do you have a plan, not only does God want to prosper you, not only does God have uh, great things for you, but then in, in Psalm 39.14, the psalmist said, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know, full, I know that full well. In other words, every one of you are designed by God. Say, I'm designed by God. I'm one of a kind. Okay, aren't you glad you weren't mass produced? Aren't you glad there aren't more Stan Nelsons? <laughs> more views? More of your kids, your moms, your dad. I mean, some of you, yeah, yeah, but I mean, aren't you glad that we're not like a garment that's made by a, a, a factory, a sweater factory, we're just pumped out and thrown up on a sales rack? God made every one of you individually wonderfully made. Some of you going, oh, I'm a loser. That's a lie from the devil. Well, I've made enough mistakes, but God can always redeem your life. And so in that, God has made a great purpose. He's made great plans for your lives. You were born to be distinct. God has given you a unique vision. He's given you a unique purpose, only really that you can fulfill. It, it will be fulfilled with other people, but you are powerfully and wonderfully made. Amen? And God wants to connect with you and fulfill that great call in your life. Some of you, you're, feeling, you're fulfilling it. Some of you, you're, you're getting around to it. Some of you, you've been knocked down. So part of that then is, letter B is, you are a guardian. Be a guardian of your dream. Okay? Be a guardian of your desires. Be a guardian of what God has put into you. You have to guard your heart. You have to guard what God has given you. Because really, ultimately, you are the one most ultimately responsible for your life. Amen? There comes a day when you've got to cut the strings of mom and dad when you become an adult and mom and dad aren't there to take care of you because one day mom and dad aren't going to be around forever. Mom and dad are going to pass and they're going to go with Jesus. Hopefully they'll live to be 148. I hope that's the case. But when they do, when you're 100 and mom and dad are gone, you need to learn how to take care of yourself, right? Okay? And so every one of you have a dream from God and you are responsible for that dream. All great dreams begin as a, as a seed and so you've got to germinate, you've got to protect it, you've got to let God water, you've got to bring the right people alongside. You've got to run with your God-given dream. Amen? So guard it. Don't let people say that you're a loser, you'll never accomplish it. And, 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 you know, whatever else the world throws at you, the devil throws at you, say, I have a dream from God, and I'm going to live it out. And you are the ultimate one to protect it. Okay, does that make sense? So you guard it, you, you, you feed it, you nourish it, and you, you do it. The scripture says, um, I, I, don't, I, think I, don't, I don't think I put it down there. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of your life. So guard your heart. Uh, I know as Christians we talk about you know, loving everyone in their heart, but you still have to have a uh, thick skin that feels, right? You have to have a heart that beats and, and can feel compassion, but yet it's still tough enough to take hits, to take criticism, to take, take the rough parts of life. Amen? 
Now, how many of you know about when, when you get into the... There's a term. I'm changing. Go to the next part now. You have a vision from God. You're to be the guardian of that vision. And now I want to talk about some obstacles to you fulfilling your vision, that God dream. And you've got to say no to some of these things, okay? How many of you know about... They, the, in, in basketball, they say like... For, for instance, some of you may not like Michael Jordan, but he was one of the greatest basketball NBA players in the NBA ever. In college, okay? How many know what basketball is? All right, how about Pele? Anybody know who Pele was? I know it's a little older now, soccer, some of you. Okay, how about John Elway? Great NFL quarterback. Okay, so, so with these athletes, Wayne Gretzky, you know, even Alex Ovechkin, I, I love the watching the Caps when they're not in strike. Um, and so, so these athletes, they get what they call, they get in a zone. You ever heard that concept? Where they're just scoring, like Michael Jordan had days of just, where he, had, he was in a zone, you know, 30, 40 points, uh, you know, and they say, wow, he's unconscious, and he just does, and the reality is, 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 is they're in the zone because they have set their mind in a vision, they've practiced hard, and the fruit of their, their working hard is beginning to pay off. And I, I remember I had a, a, there's a friend in our church, the last church we were at, he, he was a, 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 a home sales, uh, he was a realtor. And, he, and one day he had the, probably one of the greatest days of his life. He, I mean, every sale was going through. He was, and in fact, the, the owner of, of his business, the business he was working with said, man, don't go to sleep because you don't want this day to end. Every, I mean, every person he's talking to, he was in a zone. Okay, and so what I want to talk to you about is getting yourself in a zone of what God has called you to do. You're going you're gonna to pay some prices. You're going to work hard. You're going to say no. There's going to be a few late nights. There's going to be times when you're going to just, you're going to work hard at something. You're going to practice to get in a spiritual zone to fulfill what God has called for you in your life. Amen? Okay, so let me talk about some obstacles to that zone. Number two, obstacles to that zone are distractions. You ever get distracted? Okay, so when Nehemiah was building, rebuilding the wall, there were distractions. There were distractions to his spiritual zone of what God was calling him to do. So you're going to get some distractions. Now, you and I have this thing of work and play. You've got to have a balance between work and play, right? Sometimes some of you work 80, 90 hours a week. You're going to kill yourself if you do that a long time. There's times when you have to do that. Then there's times when we want to say, I want to have 80 hours and 90 hours of play. There's times you need to play, but you've got to have a balance. And you've got to say, okay, which is a distraction? Is work a distraction? Is play a distraction? How can I keep these balanced? Do I have time for myself, for my family, for my church, my spiritual life? And so you've got to say, okay, where is balance needed? Okay, what are these things? Or what distractions are keeping me from building this wall or building this dream that God has for me? The next thing I want to talk and play about that is the information age incursions. Information age incursions. How many of you love your cell phone? How many of you hate your cell phone? Your smartphone. Okay, it's a great tool, but it's also a great distraction. Again, I, we talk about, Olivia and I were driving uh, yesterday, and we were talking about Facebook, how I, I, it's a love-hate relationship I have with Facebook. Uh, I, sometimes I love it because I get to connect with people and I can see great things, and then sometimes I hate it because sometimes I spend a little much, too much time on it. Or put, Some people, how many have they put too much information on their Facebook? You know, like, okay, TMI, didn't know, didn't know all that stuff. And so what happens, though, is we have this information age incursion where it's a phenomenon, it's a blessing, and it's a curse, being on the Internet, having email, having phone calls, text messages. Sometimes, though, it can be too much, right? You can have an information overload. You can get overloaded. How many times I've been guilty of this? I've been looking for research for a sermon or something for my family, and all of a sudden, an hour later, I just realized, I've been on the Internet for an hour, and I got distracted over on this, something about the Broncos, Something about food, something about you know the science and all you know my fr- oh I got to check Facebook. So the next thing you know I just wasted an hour thinking what did I just do? I just wasted an hour 
on something when I'm trying to get this project done or I'm trying to get this task done, right? How many of you, that's happened to anyone? Did you know you can say no? It's hard, but you can say no to those things. So just be aware. Say, you know what, I'm, I, I want to get in a zone. I want to fulfill what God has called me to do. And can I give you permission that in this vast world of people and information that's just a click away, can I give you some permission? You are not obligated to respond to every text and every email 24 hours a day. Did you know that? Because there are times when I leave my phone on, like when our girls are away, our girls are away at, at uh, Pastor's Kid, Missionary Kid Retreat, and I leave my phone on uh, the whole time. And did you know I'm getting emails while I'm sleeping? And some of them are, are just, you know, junk mail. Some are people that I know, uh, sometimes they're people in this congregation, and, and they're like, you know, sending emails, and that's fine, some of them are fine, but just know that between like 10 o'clock at night and like 8 o'clock in the morning, if you email me, I mean, I do get up by 6.30, you email me, I'm probably not going to respond right away. Okay, if you put a Facebook post at 2 in the morning, I'm not going to respond. And I give you permission, you know, when you're sleeping, all of a sudden your phone, you hear, you know, like, oh, I've got to get up, you know, or you're driving your car and someone texts you, you should not respond, right? Right? So I'm giving you permission that you should only respond to people that you made a promise to. Hey, send me that proposal. Or let me know when so-and-so's there and I'll respond. Amen? You see, what happens is all of a sudden now you're texting, you're emailing, and you might be wasting time. Do you remember what it was like when we didn't have email and text and phones? And you talked to people one-on-one or you made a phone call. You actually called someone on the phone. Hey, how's it going? And, and you know, remember that? So, so information aids incursions. Those can be distractions. Okay, the third thing, of course, C is other distractions, of course. Evaluate how much time you watch TV. Evaluate how much time you're playing games on the computer. Evaluate how much time you're, you're doing those things. You need to have downtime. You need to relax. But think about this. Okay, God's given me this vision. God's given me this purpose. Do I spend inordinate amount of times goofing around and relaxing? Do I really need to relax this much? Or, or am I not relaxing enough? So, so then you say, are these things keeping me from fulfilling my God vision that He has given me? Amen? You see what I'm saying? Okay, so let's move on. So some other distractions. Toxic people. I want to spend a few minutes here. Toxic people. None of you are toxic, Right? Right? Okay, so I want to talk about toxic people. Toxic people aren't necessarily evil. They're just people that sometimes will be a bad influence or can be a negative influence. So what is a toxic person? A toxic person is someone who, who has a negative influence on the direction or desires of your life. Okay? A toxic person can come along in your life somewhere on your path as you're going to fulfill God's plan for your life and they can begin to negatively influence you and poison your thought, give you doubts, make you, make you question who you are, make you think you're a loser. And all of us have had those people come in our lives. Amen? And so here, Nehemiah is rebuilding the walls. They're rebuilding the wall. And he has three toxic people, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And they're constantly trying to pull them off. They're constantly trying to distract them. Constantly trying to get them away from rebuilding. And sometimes you have people, and they might be nice people, but they're constantly trying to pull you away. Hey, come on this weekend. You don't need to study. Come on, let's go party. Hey, you don't, you know, you don't need sleep. Let's, let's stay up all night and watch you know, movies. Let's, you know, I've got to go to work tomorrow. It's okay, man. You only live once. And just say, that's right, I only live once. <laughs> I want to make the most of this. And there are times when you can do that and have fun. But let me talk about some toxic people, okay? Toxic people make you go away discouraged, feeling like a failure, confused, and possibly even questioning your dream. Toxic people can zap energy from you, 
drive, passion, and persistence. And then you begin to say, you know what, I just I don't know where I'm going. They might make you doubt. They might make you fear. They might make you question a lot. And you want, you want to have a couple close friends that make you think through things. Okay, You want those kind of people. But if the person is constantly downing you, constantly pulling you aside, constantly making you just lose heart, then they're probably a toxic person. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you can say this, no, to toxic people. Nehemiah said no to those three people. Constantly they sent a message. They were, they were yelling from the wall. They were constantly saying, come on, Nehemiah, come meet with us. And he would say no. The first toxic person is envious people. You're already writing this down. Envious people, okay? These people, are who they get a strange joy out of the failure of others. And they're bothered by the success of others. And, and how immature, right? I mean, I, none, none of you get upset that when a co-worker gets a bonus or they get a promotion, right? None of that happens. And, and, and you should never be happy when someone fails, right? In fact, the scripture says, do not gloat when your enemy fails. When he stumbles, do not let your heart rejoice. We should not be glad when people fall. Oh, yes, I'm, I'm going to get a promotion now. Yes, I'm going to get moved up. Or I get, to, I get to be a part of that. You, you, that should never be your heart. But let me talk specifically, though, about the person who is toxic and they're envious. They, will, they probably feel empty inside and there's, there's a longing in their lives. And they might say things like this. Listen to this. They might say, oh... So you think you're going to go to grad school and make yourself better than everyone else. That's a kind of a statement a toxic, envious person will say. Another toxic statement might be, Oh, I see you're losing weight. I didn't know you were so desperate for a man. That's something a toxic, envious person said, Oh, I see you're working hard for promotion. I bet you're kissing up a lot. These are things that toxic people who are envious of you working hard, trying to go forward, trying to make your life better, they're going to say these little statements and they're envious. And, and, and it might be, they not, may not be evil people, they're just envious of, of you or envious of anyone getting ahead. And so what you need to do is you need to like get away from these people as much as possible. You may need to, you may need to confront them and say, listen man, I, I, I enjoyed our friendship, but, but listen, what you say, those are some things I don't need to hear. And if you're upset and you're jealous about stuff, then I'm sorry. I'm just trying to make a life that God has given me and I'm trying to fulfill it. Do you see what I'm saying? And if they say, well, yo, you're so high and mighty, then say, you know what? Listen, man, we probably just really shouldn't hang out then. Because that's pretty immature of them, right? But what happens is sometimes, as is, is you know, sometimes like, oh, gee, they're going to say something, so I'm not going to try as hard this time. What have they just done to you? They've just poisoned your dream. They are toxic. And so you need to not let that person affect you. Amen? Okay, so Nehemiah said no. You can say no. Now, the, the, the next person is, is, is negative people. Now, they're not next, necessarily envious, but negative people are what? They're negative all the time. Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's, you know, it's great. How are you doing? Oh, it could be better. Oh, okay. Hey, what about the weather? Oh, well, the weather reminds me one time I... Crash my car. You know, I, I mean, they're just negative about everything. Oh, man, I'm excited about that. Oh, I'm not because last time... You know, do you see what I'm saying? Some of you know negative people, right? It doesn't matter what you say. They're just negative. And these are toxic people. Negative people can rub off on you and you can begin to become discouraged and negative, right? Correct? They're just simply... The, now, you sometimes need close friends that will give you feedback and sometimes it's negative. Hey, man, Stan, you need to grow in this area. Or, you know what, you, that what you said was, was offensive or it was hurtful. Friends can talk like that. But negative people are just constantly downing everything, downing you. Here's what negative, toxic people say. 
They might say this to you, Oh, I see that you're dating Lucy. You and Lucy will never make it. That relationship just won't last. Have you been around people like that? And you know, thanks a lot for the encouragement. I, I'm going to go now. You know what I'm saying? How about, you know what? Oh, I've, I, I see that you're trying to get fit. I've tried the fitness thing. And I can tell you're not going to make it either. You know, that's great for you. And I'm sorry that you're having those issues. But I, I want to try to do at least try it, okay? Here's the other one. Oh, I've seen, I've been at this company too long. And the boss never listens to anybody. So if you have a new idea, just forget it. It just doesn't work. And they're probably stuck. And they've probably been stuck for the last 20 years because they're negative. You just need to distance yourself from those kind of people as well. Amen? These are toxic people. Nehemiah dealt with them. No. I'm not coming down. I'm not going to go down. I'm not going to get negative. I'm not going to get discouraged. Amen? Because if you allow them, their poison will overflow and drown out your dreams. And the last thing you need is someone echoing your fears because in your mind you might think man I may not lose weight this, this relationship with Lucy may fail the boss may not listen to me and you don't need someone else fortifying that amen do you see what I'm saying so you need to get away from those people the next one then is controlling people controlling people these are toxic people now be aware of this there are certain people in life who really do want you to fulfill a dream but the problem is they want you to fulfill their dream and once they feel that you're not a pawn in their dream, they begin to start being negative of you, or they, they begin to, to, to be jealous of you. They begin to do things. They might compete with you. They might make things harder on you because they realize you're not a pawn in their dream anymore. Do you see what I'm saying? So controlling people will try to control you at work. Hey, I've been at this office longer than you, and we just don't do that here. Especially if the, the boss has hired you, the company's hired you to bring new ideas. That's a controlling person. Oh, we, we don't do that here. I've been here longer than you, and we just, we just don't do that kind of... See, a controlling person wants to control you. They want to keep you from growing. Um, a controlling, like if you, maybe, you're, maybe you, uh, you, you, you're dating a person of the opposite gender, and then that person says, you know what, I don't want you to have friends that are of the opposite gender. That's a controlling thing. Do you see what I'm saying? A controlling person will try to control you and keep you from filling your dreams. You need to say no. The next one is as needy people. Now, I'm not talking about homeless people. I'm not talking about people who have struggles. Every one of us have had struggles, right? Who has not had struggles in this life? Every one of us get knocked down. Some of us, we get, in, we get things where we need people to lift us up. We, we're in a bad need and we need someone to lift us up. We need people to help us out spiritually, financially, emotionally, relationally. Everybody needs a hand up and a shoulder to cry on at times, right? But what happens is toxic people who are needy are people that always... Always, always, there's always a life, tremendous life struggle. There are always challenges. And, and every day, if this thing doesn't change, and if you don't help them, they're going to die, right? If you don't intervene in their lives, they're going to lose their job. If you don't do this thing, their kids are going to go to hell, and it's your fault. You see what I'm saying? These are needy people. And, and, and everyone has friends and family and co-workers like this. And sadly, sometimes, and I, thank God they're not in this church, but sometimes they're in the church. And so what happens, you begin to start spending an inordinate, too much time helping them, trying to bail them out. You're emptying out your checking account, trying to help them. You're spending every waking hour trying to help them. And they're like, oh, and, and you're like, I think, I think they're doing good. And they're, oh, no, but I have another, oh, no, this thing happened, can you help me? And you're like, oh, my goodness. I, Jesus says, be gentle as a dove, but he also said, be wise as a serpent. You realize, okay, I just emptied out all my checking account money. I'm spending more time with this person than I am my family. Something has to change. 
Do you see what I'm saying? So a needy person is always going to have a need. Now, they might be caught. They're not maybe negative or evil. They're just caught in some kind of a downward cycle. And what they really need is a hand up, not a hand out. And your goal and my goal in life is to help everyone live interdependently or individually as people that are responsible for their lives. Now, I know there are people that have mental, physical, emotional issues where they need some help all the time. I understand that. But these, I'm talking about people that, are, that go to school with you, they work with you, their family, their friends, or their neighbors, and they're constantly just draining you and they're keeping you from fulfilling God's call in your life. And so what you need to do is you need to say, no, I, I am not Jesus. Say that. I am not Jesus. I'm giving you permission right now that you're not the Messiah. You can't solve their every problem. You can maybe help them with a few things, but you can't solve their every problem. Only Jesus can do that. Well, Pastor, you're not very loving. Oh my goodness, what kind of a pastor are you? I'm one that's tried to be the Messiah and, and burned myself out and realized I need to say no sometimes. But what you can do is be a conduit of love and you can connect them with other people. If you get a team of people helping them to mature, to get back on their feet, you can help them to stop being from going from needy to become a person who says, okay, I'm back up, and one day they can help other people. Do you see what I'm saying? So you can help them by saying no. Say, listen, I can't bail you out. I can't be there 24 hours a day. I am not Jesus. But I will pray for you. I will help you when I can. I will bring these other people along. I will connect you with this group. Do you see what I'm saying? And don't feel guilty with the answer no. Because they're like, well, I guess I'm just going to die now. I guess my car will never be fixed. I guess I'll never get a job. And you've got to stop playing, being played by guilt. Amen? You've got to say, I can help you, but I can only help you this long, or I can only do this for you. Those can be toxic people. Let me talk about then, let me move from the toxic people, the obstacles to those things that are like, uh, obstacles to the zone is the worthy but untimely opportunities. There's a book called Good to Great, and it's by Collins. I can't remember his first name. It's a, it's a great book you should read sometime. If you're in the business world, you want to get ahead. It says learn how to... There's a lot of good opportunities in the world, but not every good opportunity is a great opportunity for your life. Right? And so the book, the whole concept is learning how to recognize the great opportunities and take advantage of those and not be weighed down by all the good opportunities. Right? Okay, how many of you go to a restaurant and, and, and there are too many choices for you? And I remember as a youth pastor, I'm kind of being crazy here, and we would have a youth event, we'd have, we'd have pepperoni pizza, we'd have veggie pizza, we'd have cheese pizza, we'd have sausage pizza, we'd have meat lovers pizza, we'd have Hawaiian pizza, and we had all these pizza, and, and the kids were just wasted because they didn't know what to do. So we said, let me help you out. Let's, we, we said, okay, we have, we have pepperoni pizza and cheese pizza. So we narrowed down their options. Okay? And if they didn't want pizza, they didn't eat that night. And so sometimes in your life, you've got to say, okay, there's a lot of good options out there, but I can't have all those options, right? I'm going to narrow it down a little bit. And so, so the option comes along. So here it is talking about these untimely, worthy but untimely good opportunities. The world is full of good opportunities, right? In the business world, in the, in the spiritual world, in relationships, the problem is picking the right one. You need God's wisdom, amen? And listen, you don't need to act on every good opportunity. And, I, and I'm tired of hearing, oh, this, you may miss, this is a lifetime opportunity, once in a lifetime, you'll never get it again. And it's kind of funny because then it happens again next year. Or the year after that, or the week after that. You'll never get this. So I love it when you go to car sales. Oh, this is, the, this is the best. No offense, car sales. My brothers are car salesmen. Okay? And, and so, 
I know we have someone in our church that owns a car business. He does awesome. and He doesn't play this trick. But I love it when they say this. You'll never get an opportunity like this. And say, yeah, I can just go across the street. I can go talk to my brother because they sell cars. And so beware of those. This is the only opportunity you'll get. This is the last time. This is, this is the only one. And if you're already engaged in something else and you're already focused and you're going forward, then, then probably is it, it's like a sand ballot or Tobiah or Geshem saying, hey, hey, come over here, come over here. Get your attention. Because what can happen is you can start giving yourselves to all these opportunities and you go nowhere. You understand what I'm saying? Not every opportunity is a great opportunity. It, it might be worthy, but it's not always the best. Okay, so the question then, letter B, is do they fit? Do these opportunities fit your vision? Look hard at the good opportunities on the horizon. Do they fit your vision? Do they steer you towards what God wants you to do or do they steer you away? Right? Remember I talked about that as a, as a pilot? I, I, fr- I have a friend who's a pilot now and uh, in high school we were good friends and now he's a pilot for a commuter airline. He tells me that in a, in a plane they make a flight plan and if they get off that flight plan one degree and they begin to go five miles, ten miles, what happens to them? At the end of their so-called destination they could be hundreds of thousands or thousands of miles away from their goal. And you see all these little good things that you keep jumping back and forth, you, get, you can get off your trail. And you can start going down wrong trails. They're good opportunities. They might be worthy, but they're not the great opportunities that God has for you. Amen? And so you've got to focus in on this thing that God has for you. And so you've got to say, does this fit my vision? Is this going to take me to where God wants me to go? Is this going to spread me too thin? Did you know that no can liberate you from all these good opportunities? Say, that's a good opportunity, but this is where I'm going to go right now. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the chance, but this is where I want to go. This is where God wants me to be. Amen? Okay, so then number five. Let's move on to number five. Number five is obstacles to the zone. And, and I'm going to talk about this. I know you say, how does this work, Pat? What? Codependency. Codependency. How does this fit here in Nehemiah? How does this fit in my life? Well, here it is. Let me talk to you again. People play Christianity against Christians. They say, hey, listen, because you're a Christian, you should care for everyone. You should meet everyone's need, and you, you should care for everyone to the best of your extent that God gives you. You can't save everyone, okay? Everybody is redeemable, but unfortunately not everyone is teachable. Do you understand what I'm saying? God wants to redeem every person, and you should look at every relationship saying, how can I get them to come into a knowledge of God, but only when they want that will it ever happen in their lives. Do you understand what I'm saying? Until they want God in their eyes, until they want help, they're not going to receive what you have for them. And so what happens, and many of you know about a codependency relationship, is what happens is you might feel sorry for them, you might feel bad for them, and you might see that they've failed, you might see they've made mistakes, and you, your heart is, oh man, I've, I, just, I hate to see people fall. And I hate, I hate seeing people fail. I do. I pray for them. I hate to see when people go through hard. It, it breaks my heart as a pastor dealing with people. As a, when I work with the police chaplain, I see what happens. And it breaks my heart. But I say, God, what, do I, what can I do? He tells me. He shows me. Because I can't do everything. I can't be all things to all people. Amen? And so, so I say, all right. Okay? Taking too much responsibility for others' problems. You cannot take responsibility for everyone's problems. Amen? Okay? So you need to know that. Say, I can't be their Messiah. Are you following me? Okay? You cannot be their Messiah. The next thing is codependency unchecked will derail you. Again, if you're always there meeting their needs and you're always there bailing them out, they're never going to grow up. And you're never going to fulfill God's vision. Okay? So if you're not careful, it will derail you. Then let her see community 
codependency and individual responsibility. There does come a time when a person needs to be responsible for their own lives. And you're not responsible for them if they are not going to grow, if they don't want to change. Amen? There's some scriptures there. Galatians 6.5, for each one should carry his own load. The last thing, couple things I want to talk about is excuses. Excuses. Remember we all talked about that? I'm the king of excuses. I love the blame. Have a, a zero tolerance towards excuses. Nehemiah, we've got to get this wall built. We've got to get this thing rebuilt. In your life, you've just got to say, you know what, I'm tired of my excuses. My excuses are... are how many of you have your excuses ever solve problems? They don't. They waste your time. They, 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 they blame someone else. Okay, so what you should do, have a zero tolerance towards excuses. Letter B is, put your excuses in writing. Put them in writing, okay? Write them down on a piece of paper. Write them down, I'm too busy. I don't have enough support. I don't have enough finances. I don't have the advantages that others have. Write those things down. And then think about how often those excuses have kept you from going forward. Don't, don't beat yourself up with them, but write those down. Say, how many times have these excuses kept me from going forward and attaining what God has for me? Letter C, write this down, is get accountability partners. Get accountability partners and let your accountability partners, not everyone, a couple people, know that you have these excuses. Let them see your list of excuses so they can call you when you make, call you on those excuses. They're not going to be mean to you. They're not going to criticize you. They're just going to ask you, is that really, is that an excuse or are, are you really struggling with this area? Okay? And then, letter D is own your fear. Because see, once you write down the, the excuse, once you recognize the problem, because all of us have fears. Once you see that, say, so you know what? I can control this thing. I can own this thing. This thing doesn't have to own me. What if I fail? What, and what do I always say? What if you succeed? You might fail, but on the other hand, you also might succeed. Amen? So, so own your fear. And then, of course, letter E is experience the results of ownership. I, I, and this means every little step of victory grows into bigger steps of victory. And I reminded, some of you remember Lowell Simpson Taffer. He was a doctor. He's in the Air Force. He was here for a few years, moved on. And he, him, him and another doctor were talking to this lady. And I'm not sure what I mean. She was very overweight. And, the, and, they, and they met with her and they said, Ma'am, you need to start exercising. You need to do something and you need to change your diet. But I can't, I can't. And they said, listen, why don't you just try this? You know, when you watch TV, get up during the commercial times and just walk in place. Every time there's a commercial on, just walk in place. And then when the commercial off, just sit down. So this lady started doing this. Every time there's a commercial, she would get up and walk in place. She began to do this. Day in and day out. And over time they said, when, when, when you start watching a show, maybe for 20 minutes, get up and walk. Just stand in place and walk. So over time, the long story is, she began to do each one of these things and there was less pain. She began to lose weight. She began to get control of her life. And she lost a lot of weight by taking small steps. And in those small steps, you'll begin to gain ownership of your life. Just take those small steps. Take small steps. You're not going to get big ground all the time. Little steps, little steps. Grow into larger steps. Grow into huge steps. Then you get into the zone. You see what I'm saying? You work, you work, you work. You're going to get fruit. Amen? Okay, so own your life, all right? Own it. Then the, the, the last thing, letter C, is not settling for less. Obstacles can make us settle for less. I know that Nehemiah was probably discouraged at times. When, when those three guys, and they kept constantly blaming them, lying about them, trying to pull them down. I know that Nehemiah was probably discouraged. In fact, they sent a false prophet. You can read that in Nehemiah 6. They sent a false prophet to tell him to quit the work. Obstacles are going to come. And so sometimes you think, you know what? Hey, sure, I had a 50-pound goal to lose 50 pounds. I've lost 20. That's okay. I'm good here. Then ask yourself, is this really what I wanted or do I really want to lose 50 pounds? Do you see what I'm saying? 
Just, just look at your goal. Say, okay, this, there's an obstacle here. I'm kind of stuck at this 20-pound loss. I'm not lost anymore. I've worked out a lot. And nothing's happened. Is there an obstacle that can be overcome? Is it going to stop you or are you going to go forward? This can be anything. Work, relationships, habits, your spiritual life. Is this my original dream? Letter B, a plateau doesn't have to end, be the end of the line. Sometimes you go through seasons which is dry and boring again. I'm talking about working and you just keep doing the same thing. And over time, things begin to change. A plateau doesn't always mean it's the end of the line. Amen? Maybe you have to change your exercise style. Maybe you have to change a certain set of foods, losing that weight concept. Letter C, adjustments will be needed. Again, you'll sometimes have to adjust things. You'll have to change things. Um, remember I talked about Michael Jordan. He was a great basketball player. Do you remember when he tried to become a baseball player? Some of you don't. It, it is horrible. That was, and so he said, you know, this, I'm going to make an adjustment. I'm going back to basketball. And he sees maybe that dream you had, maybe it wasn't totally what God wanted, or maybe you, t- you, t- you did take a wrong step. And you need to come back. You need to say, okay, what's my real vision? What's my real dream? What's my real purpose? Then letter D, saying no to settling for less. Nehemiah said, no, I'm not coming down. I have a great project here. And in your life, 